Okay, our Old Testament reading is from Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do no, you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord has, your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. Just wait for the PC9s to go over. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Turning over to Matthew 6, verses 1 to 21. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets to be honoured and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to the Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you.
And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where, moth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There ends the reading of God's word. So I wonder what you think of when you hear readings like that. When you hear readings like the, the Ten Commandments or the, the injunctions here, do not do this, do not do that, do not do the other. I often think, how effective is this really? Because, you know, I have small children. You tell them not to do something. What is the one thing that they want to do? Don't throw your Lego on the floor. It will break and it will go everywhere. Ah, oh, my Lego will break and go everywhere. That sounds like fun. <laughs> Don't smear peanut butter on the table. It's a pain to clean up. Oh, I can smear peanut butter. <laughs> I wonder what that looks like. And so I think when we come to passages like this, um, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, or we come to uh, the Ten Commandments in Exodus, we, we read those passages such as, you know, thou shalt not steal. And as even Paul reflects in Romans, I didn't know that I wanted to steal until someone told me, don't steal, and then you want to steal. It's just like Pete was reflecting on before. No one, wanted, no one knew that they wanted so much toilet paper until they were told, you don't need this toilet paper. It's a virus. It's not going to cause diarrhea. You don't need toilet paper. Ah, oh, better buy four packs of 24 rolls of toilet paper each, hadn't I? That's the logical conclusion to this. But I think that in, entirely misses the point of uh, this passage here in, in, the, um, in the Sermon on the Mount. It misses, completely uh, misses the point of what Jesus is getting at here. 
So let's have a look at, at um, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to reflect on uh, the three warnings that are given here and the one command. Uh, but let me pray as I begin. Uh, Father God, I pray that you would uh, be speaking to us this morning, uh, speak through my words, uh, speak to our hearts. Uh, may you be shaping us to be more like uh, your son, more like our model in Christ. Amen. So we have three warnings here and then one command. We're going to start and we're going to split it all up. And I know the commands in the middle. The command is the Lord's Prayer. So pray like this. The other three are the three warnings. So we're going to actually split it all up. We're not going to go through sequentially. We're going to look at the three warnings first. And we're going to circle back around and come back to the Lord's Prayer, the command of what, how Jesus tells his disciples to pray. And so we have the three warnings which are prefaced with... 6 verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, i.e. give away all your toilet paper. If you do, you'll have no reward for your Father in heaven. And so, so Jesus starts a new section in the sermon. He gives three warnings and they all have, um, there, there's so many threes in this little section here. There's kind of three main features of the warnings and they're repeated. It's a, it's a pattern of our Jewish teaching where you, you give the same structure so everyone knows where you're going with it. Uh, just like if you're um, familiar with most uh, sermons, they have three points and all the points have to start with P or S. They don't this morning. Um, so there's three features of the three warnings and... What Jesus is doing here is he's taking aim at good things, but good things which are done with the wrong motives. So if you remember back to our reading from Exodus, we have the Ten Commandments, the list of the things that, uh, that Israel is told both to do, keep the Sabbath, and not to do, do not steal, do not covet. Um, and there is that unique thing, as we're talking about with uh, children in reverse psychology, where you get told to do things and you want to do them. So this is what Jesus is talking about here. And so he's taking aim at these things which have uh, wrong motives applied to good things. The first aspect of, of these warnings he's talking about is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, which is taken from the Greek term for masks. It's a, the uh, pattern of playing something, putting a mask on, so you play a character which you're, you are not. And... In this, he is really focusing on not just saying one thing and doing another, but having that disconnect for social gain, for a wanting to be appreciated by others, for wanting to be seen by them, as we see in verse 1. So what does hypocrisy actually look like then? Is it just a pattern of going around and putting on a mask? I mean, apart from masquerade balls, we don't quite have that so much, do we? Uh, that said, if anyone remembers back about four or five years and there was the, the large anonymous gatherings which all had the, the, the Guy Fawkes mask from FIFA Vendetta, you know, that was literal hypocrisy. It was people who were putting on a mask to be presenting themselves as someone that they were not and hiding something. And there's the critical part of it. It's not just presenting something, but it's also hiding something that you want to keep hidden. From a psychological point of view, we do this all the time. We call it masking. Uh, there are good masks, there are bad masks. Uh, people want to be happy, so they will suppress 
feelings of sadness. Walk down the street and what is the greeting that everyone gives to one another as you walk down the street? How's it going? What's the instinctive response that everyone says back? Good. Or, as a colleague of mine noted recently, actually just people just eliminate the good now and they just say, how's it going in response? Because there's a mask that we present, isn't it? Everything has to be good, even if everything is absolutely terrible. People will still respond, good. We mask the things that we, that we want to hide. And so what Jesus, one of the things that Jesus is highlighting here is it's, it's not just the putting on of masks, but it's the social relationships from that. And he's encouraging the taking off of those masks. The second feature of all three of the warnings is hyperbole. Hypocrisy, now hyperbole. It's, there's all this, this comedy which is imbued in these warnings. And I think the, the biggest part of that is uh, summed up in uh, the wonderful Australian TV show, Kath and Kim. And that phrase, look at my, look at my place. As Kath and Kim go about their lives, they're trying to do all of these things so that everyone will look at them. This is a public uh, side of the hypocrisy that is going on uh, in these warnings. And so you have all throughout, if you can just imagine the people who Jesus is describing as Kath and Kim, you'll go a long way in, in seeing what the, what the humour is here. And then the third, one, uh, third uh, aspect of these warnings is reward. I told you they weren't all illiterate. Hypocrisy, hyperbole, and reward. So, you know. Um, but I think sometimes we shy away from this one a bit. We, we don't want to read the latter half of verse six, uh, of verse one, sorry. Uh, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. But look at Moi. But if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. We don't, we, I think sometimes we, as Christians, we go, that's just not what we want to be reading. There's no talk of rewards in this. Why are we getting something for this? But as we'll see by the end, reward is actually a big part of how these warnings work. There's either a reward from other people or it's a reward from God. So let's dive into the warnings and we'll go through them fairly quickly. The first warning is a warning against blowing your own trumpet. Or more literally, just giving to the needy and wanting to be seen by others while you do that. I, I read this passage, uh, and so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Now, I suspect that most people didn't go around in the first century with a small entourage uh, trailing behind them, uh, singing songs about them, say, like the uh, Sir Robin scene in Monty Python. You don't have this uh, little band of bards with trumpets going, look at this person, he's giving arms. Do, 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 do. But that's what Jesus wants, them, wants everyone to um, imagine. It's so ridiculous. Why would you have someone going around with a trumpet behind you and going, someone is doing the right thing. Do, do, do. We want, we're expected to see the comedy in this. We don't have a soundtrack following us around. But that is actually how some people act, isn't it? We, everyone wants to see what people are doing in our society. We want to see if something happens, 
People need to make a statement about uh, what has happened. People need to click on that fundraising icon on Facebook. And it says, so-and-so has donated, dot, 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 dot. It is effectively a way of announcing it with trumpets to our world. Jesus continues on. Uh, when you give to the needy, do not let your right, left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, unless Jesus is talking about a severe case of cognitive dissonance where you, you have two parts of your body and your brain is not merging any of your signals together, which does happen, but exceedingly unlikely. I prefer to think of this much more like the Adams family, where you have the thing, the little hand that's running around. Jesus is trying to make a point that, you know, as, as ridiculous as it is to think that you're, you might just detach your left hand and off it goes to, to give, give someone some money or to, give, to make a donation, give to the needy. It, it, he's making a, a bigger point, which is about don't do these things such that um, you're making, making it public, making it obvious to others. This is something which should be done privately, something that should be done in secret, which he continues on. So do this so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so we see here what the, what the reward pattern is. So either you get reward from others, people you get recognition uh, for doing uh, good things. It is good to give to the needy in, in the first century, just as it is now. But you are either the motive is to get recognition, get social status, to get kudos for doing the right thing. Or it is to get recognition from God for, to, in order to um, do the right thing because it is what God would want for human flourishing. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There is a reward there. And so then Jesus continues on and he gives this second warning. Prayer. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Now Jesus likes this metaphor. He likes to, to um, give this picture of someone praying in the temple. And Instead, he says, truly, um, instead, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Now, we have bedrooms in our society. We have lots of rooms in houses that we can go into and close doors. In the first century, not so much. You had far more open space. This whole trend that we have in the 21st century of open plan living is just returning to the first century, really. Uh, instead, you, the, the main closeted-off areas you had in, in uh, first-century houses were the equivalent of a broom closet or a toilet. And so Jesus is saying, go into the toilet to pray. Go, in, go away, closet yourself off in a very secluded place. There is no look at me that is happening when you're in a closet, is there? And so he continues on then. When you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. I think for Jesus' audience, they would have in immediately thought of the great contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, uh, where the prophets of Baal are um, dancing around their altar, cutting themselves. And what is uh, Elijah's sarcastic response to them? 
Maybe you should shout a bit louder. Perhaps he can't hear you idiomatically. And perhaps he's busy, which is an idiom for... Perhaps he's on the toilet. He just can't get to you because he is uh, doing his uh, private business right now. He'll be with you shortly. Uh, it's the equivalent of uh, hearing someone's phone ring in the stall next to you and then turning it on silent. That's why I think Jesus' audience would have uh, understood by that. The babbling of the pagans is a re reference to their your God is just not listening. So just shout a bit louder. And so he continues on, Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So there is a reward here again. It is either a reward of being seen by others uh, in, on the street corners, uh, or there is a reward from uh, your heavenly father who knows what you need. So Jesus is saying, don't be babbling like, like the pagans, or actually uh, far more relevant for our society, babbling like a, a two-year-old toddler. Uh, who's just learnt 50 different words and doesn't know how to use them yet. Just keep, t keep using them and something might happen. But instead, take off that mask of wanting um, social respectability, of wanting social kudos. Go into a closet and pray to your father who already knows what you need. And so we'll skip over to verse 18. Uh, sorry, to verse 16. Maybe my eyes are going... <laughs> Lift it up. Um, to, to fasting. Uh, so he, Jesus, after the, the prayer, which we'll come back to, Jesus says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. This is something which I think we, we can understand a bit more uh, these days. The, the nature of um, fasting, especially as um, this series is in Lent, um, fasting is, is something that is a good thing to do. Uh, Jesus recommends it. Um, the, the people of, um, in Jesus' time, people in the first century, would have fasted regularly. This was a normal part of being, uh, of, um, being a good Jewish person is to, to fast, to focus yourself on the things that God wants you to focus on. And it is, don't, don't hear me wrong, this is absolutely a good thing. But what Jesus takes aim at here is this pattern of going unkempt to make sure that everyone knows that you're fasting, uh, which is the equivalent of um, posting it on social media on regular intervals. Uh, just so everyone knows, I'm still fasting. Uh, I'm not having X, Y, or Z for Lent. Uh, just in case you haven't read the other four statuses, uh, which I've, I've given. Instead, Jesus says, put oil on your face, uh, which is just bizarre for any of us who use shampoo, uh, because our culture is all about getting oil off ourselves when we shower, when we wash, when we bathe. Uh, Middle Eastern culture is all about putting oil on when you make yourself clean. Uh, just invert the entire paradigm that you're thinking in your head and you are, you'll get it a lot better. This is a literal, though, beating oneself up. It's walking around saying, woe is me, look at me, I am fasting from uh, whatever you are doing or whatever you are fasting from. But instead, Jesus says to 
put on the normal clothes that you, you would wear. Put, make yourself presentable so that people won't know you are fasting because it isn't for others that you are fasting. It is for God. So that will not be obvious to others that you are fasting but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret just like when you're in the closet praying will reward you. There it is, the reward again. So these three warnings, these three warnings that Jesus gives, they're all warnings against personal attempts at making ourselves flourish and actually highlighting our flourishing to others. It's personal attempts at saying, look at me, look at what I'm doing for myself and how good I am at being a good model citizen and flourishing in our society. They're all ways of taking good things, prayer, giving to the needy, fasting, very good things, all very good things to do, and turning them on themselves instead of being focused on God that focuses on ourselves, making them into both a vertical, a divine contract. If I do these things, then God, you will do these things for me. And also a social contract. If I do these things to be seen by others, then I will get the respect that is due to me as a good model citizen in our society. It becomes a tit for tat. I do this, you do that contract. They're all efforts of kingdom piety, but diverted to personal ends. Does that sound familiar in what we do? We've even created a word for it. It was the dictionary word, of, or the um, Oxford Dictionary word of the well, phrase of the year, because they seem to keep choosing phrases for, for their words of the year. But they chose virtue signaling a couple of years ago. Virtue signaling, that pattern of saying, look at the virtuous life I live and the things I am doing. I am doing all of these things for my own self-esteem, for my own glory. Jesus is giving strong warnings against that. And so right in the middle of this passage, right in the middle of these warnings against doing these things, Jesus gives one not-so-short command. Short in uh, initial command, longer in extrapolation. So turn, turn back with me to verse 9. This then is how you should pray. The Lord's Prayer appears not just here in the middle of this passage, but it's in the middle of the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. It picks up on themes throughout uh, the sermon, and we've actually done several entire um, sermons on it, so I'm not going to repeat all of those right now, but I'll just skim over it because this is the centre of what Jesus is saying here. He says, pray like this. This is an abbreviation of the entire gospel. And in the pattern of threes that you find in the sermon, there are three petitions here to fo that focus on God, and there are three petitions that reframe our own situation. So the first, first petition to focus on God, our Father, our Father in heaven. So it reframes all of the things that Jesus is talking about. It's not focusing on uh, what people are doing before other people, uh, what people are doing to be seen by the world, 
but it's focusing on a single relationship between God and his people, our Father. It's not about gaining social status, but it's a great leveling. The, the corporate hour that we're expected to pray is all of our Father. There is no differentiation of relationship there. And in the social world of the first century, fathers held the power in the family. This isn't about the children being upstarts and, and um, pushing each other down like tall poppies, but it's about relating to a father who is above them, who is, who is in personal relationship with them. The second petition then, your kingdom come. This put, very literally puts God in his place, in his rightful place. And not in the denigration sense of uh, putting someone in their place, but esteeming them, hallowing them, to, to rightfully recognize where God is. He is his kingdom. He is the king. And critically, that's his kingdom, not ours. All of the other warnings relate to the building up of our own kingdom. This is esteeming God for his kingdom. The third petition then, your will, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. It's not ours, not our vain will of trying to do the things that we want to do, but God's will. It places everything in the right order. So they're the three petitions that focus on God and actually focus, reframe all of the heavenly realm for us. Then there are three petitions that focus on our own situation, that reframe it for us. Firstly, give us this day our daily bread. Literally, give us what we need. For, the, um, for Jesus' audience, they would have thought about the manna in the wilderness that was provided for them, just what they need, or um, if it was on a Sabbath, then for the, for the next day as well. But it's places of trusting God's provision for people, not the hoarding and, and stocking up of bread or toilet paper. It's strange. You can't eat toilet paper. But just as in the manna story, if you gather too much, it goes off. It perishes. It spoils. Give us this day what we need. Forgive us. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. This is probably pretty shocking that we can be forgiven. It's not affecting our own forgiveness. It is conditional on us forgiving others. But it's not forgive us because we forgive others, but forgive us as we have already forgiven others. It's not affecting our own flourishing. It's depending on God's forgiveness. And finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This isn't just a head in the sand, sort of going to bury myself so I won't be tempted. But this is trusting in God's goodness and guidance and trusting in what he has prepared for us and what he is doing for us. And so all through this Lord, the Lord's Prayer, we have Jesus reframing what it means to be truly flourishing. He's taking his audience and lifting their eyes from the social relationships that they have between each other, from the, the striving after social capital, 
the virtue signaling that they're doing, and lifting their eyes towards heaven, towards the new kingdom. And he's focusing on what God's kingdom categories are for flourishing. This is just as relevant for our, our society today, isn't it? We've gone over this summer uh, from the bushfires and the, the, the fund, massive fundraisers for the bushfires through to st stocking up toilet paper and people being angry with each other about um, presenting it at doctors or not presenting at doctors, uh, um, whichever category you want to put, put yourself in. The way that we relate in the 21st century is all about wanting to be seen by others, to be doing good, to be seen by others for doing the right thing, to be gaining for ourselves righteousness before others. What Jesus says here in the sermon, in the, this middle section on spiritual flourishing, is actually, that's just a significant step below what God's kingdom is looking, looking for and looking like. Instead, we need to lift our eyes higher to focus on what God's kingdom categories are. So then how does Jesus um, conclude this uh, section of the sermon? Well, instead, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Those same treasures uh, which are given throughout. I think the treasures here are very much in terms of the social capital, uh, which people are, get, are looking for for their reward. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moss and vermin do not destroy. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here is the key that Jesus gives to unlocking the entire sermon that he has been giving so far. We chase after the social status. We chase after the being wanting to be seen, to be fasting, to be seen, to be praying, to be seen, to be giving to the needy. Because our heart desires being known by other people. Being, our heart desires being ratified by other people. Our hearts desire those little blue thumbs up on our status or the little red heart icons. Ding, ding, ding. Little dopamine system in our, in our brain goes, ah, oh, I'm loved by other people for what I am doing. What Jesus says is, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He's trying to, wants his people to reframe where their heart is focused. And that then informs how they should pray, how they should give to the needy, how they should be fasting. This is a pattern of what we would call demasking. It's taking off the mask of wanting to be seen to be, or in prioritizing being socially relevant, prioritizing being socially recognized. But, it, but it's not just taking off a mask. It's putting on a new one. It's putting on a new mask which focuses our hearts upon the things above. It's 
putting on an identity which is not actually yet entirely ours. Because it is putting on an identity which has been bought for us by Jesus. At this point in, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, the disciples don't yet understand what is happening. They will finally understand on the other side of the cross. But for us being able to read the sermon here, we can see what has happened. Because we can see that it is through Jesus that we have been given this new identity, this new framework for living. What the, the identity that we can literally put it like a mask, like a true mask. Because this is seeking after a flourishing which we don't achieve by our own categories, but by Jesus' categories. It's seeking after the way that we can call God our Father, which is only through Jesus' work on the cross. It's remasking ourselves as a child of God and therefore letting all of our heart focus, all of our heart's desires flow towards that end. And so the, for us, the pattern is the same as the pattern was for Jesus' disciples. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Focus on that treasure of where Jesus has bought for us. Be masked with the identity of a younger brother, a younger sister in Christ. Taking that mask from our older brother and for what the work that Jesus has done for us. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that you have lifted our eyes towards heaven. That in Jesus you have brought us new identities. That you have given us a heart that will focus on your treasures. That will focus on your desires for this world. And focus on your flourishing in this life. Please help us to bring ourselves into that identity, to work uh, towards being more like Jesus and work within us the change of heart that we may focus on your treasures, not our own rewards. Amen.